Hey, it's the Disenfranchised Podcast. We're that podcast all about those franchises of one. Those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. And uh, joining me as always, the fierce warrior of the Hyborian Age. It's my co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hello, Stephen. How are we doing tonight, sir? Uh, I'm pretty tired. Same. Uh, so let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's get in and get out. How about it's going to be a punchy episode, everybody. But we, before we, before we get into this movie, Brett, there's a little bit of pomp and circumstance that needs to happen because Brett, I don't know if you're aware of this. I don't know if our listeners are aware of this, but this is the very first episode of our very first theme month of 2022, Brett. Holy crap. I know. What could the theme possibly be? I couldn't even begin to imagine. All I know is, it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. I was about to say, if if you're a patron, you know already, because we just dropped a top five list. Kind of spoiled the whole theme. That's true. And uh, if you were paying good attention to the uh, the clues on Twitter, you might also know as well. Um, but it's all about Arnold April here on the Disenfranchised Podcast. That's right. An entire month of episodes devoted to the man, the myth, the legend who is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And for no reason whatsoever. No. Other than the fact that April and Arnold both start with A. Yeah, it's not his birthday. He doesn't nope. have a movie coming out. Not at all. It's not some anniversary of anything. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. We we had some movies on our on our list, our master list that had Arnold in them, and we're like, you know what might be fun? Let's just devote an entire month to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And we've not done a theme month since last year's Spookython, I think, Brett. Yeah, and honestly, I was on the fence. I was like, I don't know. I guess, sure. But then you were like, well, it means we get to talk about Last Action Hero. And I was like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) That was 100% pretty much how that conversation went. That'll be be coming up down the pipeline, wink. Um, But uh, but yeah, so we'll get to talk about a movie that Brett really loves. We'll get to talk about a movie that I kind of like. Actually, I really like it. Later on this month, and then we'll get to talk about a movie, a couple of movies that we've never seen, including this week's movie, Brett, which is what? We're talking about the Conan spinoff? 1985's <laughs> Red Sonia. 1985's Red Sonia, directed by Richard Fleischer uh, and written by Clive Exton and uh, George McDonald Fraser, based on characters created by Robert E. Howard. And starring the man himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, along with Brigitte Nielsen, Sandal Bergman, Paul L. Smith, Ernie Reyes Jr., Ron Le- Ronald Lacey, and Pat Roach, among many, many others. Those last two are definitely ones we'll be circling back to uh, later in the episode for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is this is our great kickoff to All About Arnold April. And I don't know about you, Brett, but I am uh, pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be a good month, and I think this is going to be a great episode. Well, if this movie is any indication of what we're in store for, Last Action Hero Notwithstanding, uh, I'm I'm pretty whelmed. Um, to be fair, the man himself calls this movie one of his worst. Sure, 
which I get because he was kind of tricked. He was bamboozled. Yeah, we'll we'll, oh, we'll get in. We'll get into by by uh, former uh, subject of this podcast, uh, one Mister um, Dino De Laurentiis himself, pretty much uh, conned Arnold into uh, co-starring in this movie. Yeah, told he was just going to do a cameo, and then through the magic of editing and shenanigans, mm-hmm. game a co-starring role. Yep, because uh, Dino kind of cajoled him into being on set for longer than he really needed to be. I guess we won't get into it later. I guess we'll get into it now. Um, Why not? Yeah. We talk about the history uh, of the movie at the beginning. Come on. That's true. That's true. We do. Uh, I mean, we usually get into like the like the the the, the history of the franchise and kind of where we our familiarity level and all that with it first. But fuck it, man. Let's do it. Um, so Whatever, Arnold, man, I don't it, so Arnold signs on basically for a glory glorified cameo. Uh, he is for all intents and purposes playing uh, Conan in this movie uh, from the uh, Conan, the barbarian and Conan, the destroyer films, uh, but they didn't have the rights to the name. So they call him Calidor instead. So um, my my joke has been pretty consistently that Arnold is playing totally not Conan in this movie, even though he is pretty much playing Conan in this movie. And he signs on essentially as a favor to Dino De Laurentiis, who is a producer on whose films he had worked prior to this. And uh, so he signs on as a favor. He's expecting to be on set maybe a week and ends up being on for four weeks instead. And um, instead of actually, uh, you know, being a, a glorified cameo, he's a full-fledged co-star. And shock of all shocks, the the top-billed actor in this movie. Uh, and so he pretty much decides, you know what? Um, no, I'm done. And so as a result, he uh, kind of terminates his contract with Dino De Laurentiis as a result. Pun intended? No, just a happy accident. Oh, okay. I don't even know what the pun was. That's how out of it I am right now. (laughs) He terminated his contract? Oh, there it was. There it was. No, actually, that was just a happy accident. That was. Wow. I am am out of it, dear listener. And uh, it's going to be a fun episode. I can pretty much guarantee it. So, yeah. No, I mean, but that's, uh, again, this is... It, for all intents and purposes, a kind of Conan spinoff, I would suppose. Um, the character, so Arnold had been in the two previous Conan films, which were Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer, which are essentially his kind of two first first big forays into American cinema. Uh, I mean, he had done Hercules in New York as Hercules. He had been in the Jane Mansfield story. Uh, Like he had some minor roles, but Conan the Barbarian was, for all intents and purposes, his first starring role. Two years later, he does Conan the Destroyer. And then the year after that, he does Kalidor. But in between, where he does Red Sonja as Kalidor, but in between Conan the Destroyer and Red Sonja, he does The Terminator, which is kind of the movie that puts him on the map. So at this point, he is the biggest star, pretty much in the one of the biggest stars in the world at this point. And so you can see why De Laurentiis would kind of want to try to milk that star power for everything it's worth in this movie to try to get more butts in seats. Ultimately, it doesn't look like it worked at all, Um, but that's kind of um, the impetus behind this. Um, 
Brent, do you have any familiarity with the character of Red Sonia, uh, the character of Conan, the work of Robert E. Howard? Uh, what What is your level of familiarity there? Uh, pretty much zero. Okay. Because uh, I really didn't even... I didn't see the Conan movies until way later. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but, I mean, I know... I at least know that even though... Even though he's not Conan in the movie, he basically is, and a lot of fans have uh, sort of thrown in some uh, fan fiction, maybe, mm-hmm. and making it fit. Yeah, he's, he's he, you know he changed his name while he's traveling. Yeah, this is one of Conan's traveling names. Yeah, which is not uncommon Mm-mm. for fantasy heroes to do, right? In fantasy stories, and. I mean, look, he's using the Conan sword. Uh, he he just looks like Conan in red, uh, and he acts like Conan. Um, he is, for all intents and purposes, he is Conan. He is he is similar to, but legally distinct from Conan. Sure, but <laughs> come on. He's he's Conan. No, I uh, no, I'm right there with you, which is why I've been calling him totally not Conan because he is, but he's totally not. Wink. He's he's diet Conan. Mm-hmm. He's Conan Zero. Conan Light, as it were. Conan Light. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but you no, know, I mean I know the name Red Sonia from comic books, but that's not they're not the same character that I'm thinking of. Well, and so. The Robert E. Howard Con- or, um, Red Sonia character was kind of this 16th century pirate queen kind of character from based on what I've read. And then Roy Thomas, working for Marvel Comics, who had the rights to Conan, basically wrote the character of Red Sonia and kind of transcribed her into the Hyporian Age, which is kind of the age in which Conan adventures, in order to so that she could meet up with Conan. That's literally the reason. So this movie probably from what, based on what I've read has more in common with the comic book, Red Sonia than it does with the actual stories featuring Red Sonia written by Robert Howard based okay. on my understanding. So, so ignore me. It's the opposite of what I said. Is, yeah. I mean, but, you know, just based on on what I've read, of course, Robert E. Howard, probably most famous for uh, Conan the Barbarian, uh, but also wrote characters like Solomon Kane, Call the Conqueror, uh, stars of, of movies that we will cover on this podcast someday, I can pretty much guarantee. Um, but Conan is kind of his his main character, his work kind of vaguely ties into the world, the work of Lovecraft, I think a little bit he and Lovecraft were kind of writing um friends i think they had correspondence going with one another and um howard was very much inspired by the work of lovecraft and so um includes portions of the cthulhu mythos throughout his work from what i understand which i was not aware of cuz i i i enjoy fantasy quite a lot mhm but this is not the kind of fantasy i'm into so what kind of fantasy are you in? Because you've you've been on record as saying you're also not a fan of like the Lord of the Rings and that vein of fantasy either. So what kind of fantasy are you into, Brett? I think more straightforward sword and sorcery. Like it's very much more, more 
it, it's honestly now now that you're asking me this question, it is hard for me to describe because <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of fantasy nerds out there going, "Well, you don't like Lord of the Rings, and you don't like Conan fantasy. What the fuck are you talking about?" Um, like, do you have a particular fantasy franchise that you're more drawn to? Is I mean, I know you're a big D and D guy, so is it just kind of the D and D thing that you're into? Yeah, I mean, it's that, but at the same time, I also enjoy things like, I don't know, like the Wheel of Time. Okay. And like the the other series that Jim Butcher writes that I can never remember the name. Yeah, he's done writing it, but um, that was more fantasy. And I don't know, like, it's, I guess where, where magic is more prevalent, where magic is more in the world. Where it's not like, you know, in Lord of the Rings and in Conan, magic is in the background. It's more just big dudes with swords in Conan. And it's, I don't even know how you would describe it in Lord of the Rings. It just, I don't know. Lord of the Rings is so dry to me. Maybe that's what it is. Lord of the okay. Rings is dry as hell. Uh, are you talking about the Jim Butcher series? Are you talking about the Codex Alera? The Codex Alera, yes. Okay. I'm on his website right now and trying to figure out which of his books you might be referring to. Codex Alera seemed like the most fantasy-esque, so I went with that one. Yeah, I mean, he's he's recently started as third series, but... Cinder Spires? Really yeah, he's really only had the first two. Right. Yeah, I you know, I just I want more... I want my fantasy to be more fantastical. Maybe, maybe that's the best way to put it. I want it to be, I want there to be magic everywhere. I want mm-hmm. there to just be like, video game wise, like I really like Skyrim and mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls and, uh, you know, things like um, Event Horizon, not Event Horizon. What's I was going to say, that's sci-fi. Horizon Zero, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, okay. I am also not completely here right now, which I mean, has magic sort of but it's like technology based Mm -hmm. but it's very prevalent in the world it's very it's not in the background i think that that's that's what it is so you like magic as the feature not the bug i yeah i feel like that's the case like i don't i don't want it to be the only thing Mm -hmm. i do also like dudes in suits of armor and swords sure sure but i also want there to be a do a very fragile dude in a robe throwing fireballs right next to him. <laughs> Which, I mean, the only fragile dude in this movie, other than, you know, the child, is um, the great Ronald Lacey, who plays... Uh, Ronald Lacey gives good henchmen uh, in this movie, as he does in several other movies, but we'll get into Ronald Lacey in the fullness of time. But he's probably the most fragile of the dudes in this movie. I would agree. Uh, he, I mean, he fits the mold of like a mage, but like there's there's no. I mean, you've got the what is the the uh, the thing? The talisman. The talisman. Yeah. The, the MacGuffin. Yeah. Yeah. The the MacGuffin. Uh, I mean, there's magic there, mm-hmm. but that seems to be it. Yeah. Outside of maybe like the metal dragon that they fight. Maybe that's maybe magical, but not really. Right. Which is a machine that is frequently referred to as a machine. And that that's, I think one thing about this movie that kind of threw me is the fact that for all intents and purposes, this takes place in kind of a prehistoric era. 
But then by the same token, there's a very complex machine um, that is uh, made to resemble a dragon that is clearly made of metal uh, and functions just completely devoid of any remote control uh, and is like trying to devour them and has eyes that work, but it's metal. Like I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's going to be my main conceit of this entire episode is there's not really a whole lot of logic here. There's not really a whole lot of context for much. And it it makes me wish I were more familiar with the work of Howard because I'm not, I don't know much about his Hyborian age. I don't know much about Conan. I don't know much about red Sonia. Um, like there, I know I have, um, I I've written with some people who are big fans of his, um, who are, are very much uh, fond of his work, but it's never something that I've actively sought out, but I know there's uh, kind of this lineage of heroes within his work that Conan kind of fits into like the very similar to Campbell's like hero of many faces kind of a thing. Um, so, I mean, I know there's elements of that kind of baked into Howard's work, but I, my knowledge of it is very limited. I don't have a lot of experience with, um, the comics, see sword and sorcery and fantasy has never really been my thing. Um, I like some of it, um, but it's, it's never been like the thing I was all in. And I was more of a sci-fi guy than a fantasy guy. Um, so, so I'm not as familiar with Howard's work as, as I am with maybe some other writers of his era. And I mean, I, I didn't really get into fantasy until probably after high school. Mm hmm. After the Lord of the Rings came out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lord of the Rings definitely. The movies. I definitely liked the movies, Lord of the Rings, more than the books. Okay. I tried to read the books. And as as I've always, this is what I tell anybody that asks me. is I got, I got through The Hobbit. I thought mm-hmm. The Hobbit was fine. Hobbit is a very easy read. It is. I, Partly and, because it was written kind of as a YA book, honestly. But it, but it's the very, it, it's a funny example of like red flags you ignore that mm. you, that turn out to be major red flags later. Like <laughs> uh, there's, there's a big, we're going to fight this big ass, badass dragon. This cool battle's going to happen. Now we're going to knock out the point of view character. So, and then he'll wake up after it's over. That is Tolkien's ride around for just, cause I don't think Tolkien was particularly interested in fighting. I don't think he was particularly interested in writing fight scenes. And so, uh, from my, from what I recall of the Lord of the Rings books that I have read, uh, that tends to happen a lot. The point of view character kind of gets knocked out right before the fighting starts. Uh, which means that Peter Jackson pretty much had to craft all those battles whole cloth from scratch. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, that badass the Battle of Helm's Deep that everybody talks about. Hell yeah. Towers. Good filmmaking. Uh, that is uh, that, that's a paragraph in the, in the book. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I only know that because I, I didn't get that far. Uh, I only, I mean, I, because I couldn't make it through Fellowship, like it. The I made it all the way up through Two Towers, and then I kind of lost interest, and I never made it to the the Return of the King. Because I tried to read the prologue of Fellowship, and it read like the Bible. Uh, well, I mean, you know, to to say that Tolkien was uh, inspired by um, the the Christian scriptures is uh, 
I, I'm not really saying anything new, although he would deny there was any kind of allegorical anything happening. Uh, it's pretty clear that there actually was. So, yeah. So like Gandalf is as much a Jesus allegory as Aslan and C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe. Absolutely. Maybe maybe not as heavy handed as, as Aslan, but still. Oh, nothing's as heavy handed as Aslan. <laughs> let's be honest. Fair point. So, but I mean, the movies, though, movies, I enjoy the Lord of the Rings movies. No, they're good movies. Yeah. To an extent, they're very long. They are. (laughs) You you gotta like that long cinema, buddy. Yeah, which I'm not always in the mood for, but sometimes I am. And that's because they play up the, you know, the fighting more and the action and like the, the sword and the sorcery, even though there's more sword than sorcery there. I mean, you know, one of your main characters is a fragile dude in a robe. He's not throwing fireballs, granted, but, you know, fragile dude in a robe right there. And that's, I mean, so Gandalf, Gandalf's great. I quite enjoy Gandalf. So, so when, then when we get into, like, the Conan universe and everything, it's just, it's so dry. It's drier than Lord of the Rings. It's drier <laughs> than a desert. It's just big dudes with swords and, like other big dudes with swords and then other weird dudes with swords who rob people. And, and see, I don't know enough about the, the world to, to know to what extent magic is a thing in Robert Howard's um, work, but I don't know. It doesn't I, seem to be too prevalent if we're going by the Conan and Red Sonja movies. I mean, that's fair. Uh, I mean, the early eighties were a big time for this kind of work. So it's no surprise that, at least the Conan movies were relatively successful. You've also got like the Beastmaster films around this time as well. Uh, like Sword and Sorcery is is kind of a big deal, and it starts to fall off like right around here. Like the, shortly after this, we've got the He Man movie as well, Masters of the Universe. See our previous episode on that. Um, like there have been a lot of of these kinds of works that were now see now Beastmaster was my dad's thing. Like anytime the Beastmaster was on TV, we were absolutely watching the Beastmaster. Um, but I mean, those are all other early eighties sword and sorcery films that were Willow. Also another one, another example of that, like the eighties were kind of a, a big time for a, a bit of a resurgence of that kind of film. And it starts to fall off as the quality of those films starts to decrease. Um, and this, I think, is a very prevalent example of that kind of uh, lack of quality or that kind of quality falling off uh, because this movie, spoiler alert, not that great. And those are you, those are other kind of you reminded me of some other kind of fantasies I like, which is um, your your never ending stories, your labyrinths, mm. your legends, your mm-hmm. willows. Yeah. Um, those those are the other kind of fantasies, like where there is is where it's fantastical. Well, and again, magic is the feature in a lot of those too. I mean, your primary villain in Labyrinth is uh, David Bowie's codpiece, but second to, second to that is David Bowie himself as Jareth the Goblin King. Uh, you know, Willow is a magician; that's kind of his thing. Uh, you know, the barbarian character is kind of the the goofball comic relief slash also the hero in a weird way. Um, like legend, you've got, you know, Tim Curry as discount Satan in that movie. Like there's there's all sorts of. Like, oh, he's really- not discount Satan in that movie. Do you see the horns on that man? That is not discount Satan. 
He makes regular Satan look like discount Satan. <laughs> also, it's Tim fucking Curry as Satan. Okay, come on. Touche, touche. Um, but I, I mean, that's that's kind of like again, the, all of those have those kind of very magic at the forefront uh, kind of uh, films. I haven't seen Legend in years. I need to rewatch Legend. Apparently, so. So do I. I wonder if it holds up. The other ones do. I can confirm that, like, Neverending Story and Labyrinth, Labyrinth especially, holds up as long as you're okay with the aforementioned David Bowie. What he's got going on there. Yeah, uh, his David Bowie's um, uh, little David, I guess. I <laughs> Just in your face the whole time. If you're okay oh, with yeah. that, you're fine. Which, I mean, you know, why? why wouldn't you be? I, I was fine with it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it it it's it's David Bowie in in all his glory. What's not to like? Sure. What's not to love? In point of fact, <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. There even, it is. Even even Princess Bride, which does not mm-hmm. exactly have magic at the forefront per se. It's no. there. There's some magic elements, but yeah. it is mostly it's mostly dudes with swords. But it, yeah. it's not it's not big burly mostly naked guys with swords. So, so you have a problem with the male nudity aspect of it all? Is, is not that. That's not. I, I clearly don't. We just discussed <laughs> David Bowie's thing for like a couple minutes. Just say but, the word. It's his penis. It's. We were talking about David Bowie's penis. Look, I was thinking of the kids. Okay, I didn't want to. Oh yes, because kids absolutely listen to this podcast. They might. You don't know. Penis is the is the proper medical term. All now, right. if I'm calling it his tallywhacker or his schlong or his dong or his man meat, then we might have a problem. Well, now it's ruined. <laughs> uh, so but my point being, no, it has nothing to do with the nudity. It's just like. It's the same reason, because, I mean, this is something else we I was absolutely planning to get into in this episode is it's the same reason that like women get pissed off at like half naked women in a movie or it's like it's it's the male gaze this one is the female gaze like you, you're just looking at giant half naked dudes with muscles swinging swords around like that's not i don't want that i would rather have a suave intelligent guy sword fighting charming you know pirate mm-hmm. Um, a, J- a Captain Jack Sparrow, if you will, or 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 a Mandy Patinkin, whichever, whichever you prefer. I mean, I would definitely prefer a Mandy Patinkin there, but you know, yeah, I mean, or yeah, Carrie Elways, also sure. Carrie Elways, a uh, Carrie Elways type, if you will. Sure, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just not my thing, man. Like, I don't need. And see, I don't mind it. Like, I mean, that to me is just that's kind of part and parcel of the thing. Um, so it, that 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 bothers me not at all. Like, I'm not going to, you know, watch a movie that has a half naked Arnold Schwarzenegger in it and go, man, I wish you didn't have to be half naked all the time. Well, and it's, I'm not really saying that either. I guess it's more that like that just doesn't interest me. Like, it's not that's that's not the kind of fantasy I'm into. I, I don't know. I mean, the. The aforementioned frail guy in a robe throwing fireballs. That's me. That's your tempo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, literally, that's that would be me. <laughs> uh, I, I would not be. In any way, shape or form, swinging a sword, I would be in the back 
tossing fireballs at things. Whereas, see, I'm always I was always drawn to the the dwarf characters, like the 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 short guys with the axes and the giant helmets. Like that was that was my speed, and you know, so any any kind of fantasy that's got like a a, a great dwarf character kicking ass, like uh, like Gimli in Lord of the Rings, I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, and, and to each their own. I mean, that's that's why D and D is so popular because there's so many different ways to play a character that can definitely express who you are. So what's your D&D class, Brett? When you play D&D, I know you're mostly a DM these days, but when when you were playing D&D and you created your own character, like what was your class? What what tell tell us about your the kind of character you play when you play D&D. Well, it's funny you say that. I've been a forever DM uh literally forever until recently <laughs> that's this, what forever means yeah that, that's what forever means uh because as other D fans out there might know you want to play D, you want your friends to play D with you mm-hmm. but none of them want to learn the rules or run the game they want to create a character and have fun sure so if you want your friends to play D, i i guess i'm running it Okay, let's shrug. Let's, let's shrug. Uh, but luckily, I have a group now that has a couple people in it that are more than happy to run a game. Oh, nice! So I am. I so I'm playing in my first campaign in as a player in. God, I don't know how long. So, uh, my current character, uh, if I mean my username. Um, on all of my social media is an indication. Uh, my go-to class is Warlock. Oh, a Warlock. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I am a... I'm a Tiefling Warlock, if anybody out there knows what a Tiefling is. I have no idea. What's a Tiefling? A Tiefling is uh, somebody who, in their lineage, uh, banged a demon. Okay. <laughs> And <laughs> and uh, okay. so so one of their children was born with any myriad, you know, you can kind of pick and choose any myriad of deformities that make them look like a humanoid demon. They're not actually a demon. Mm-hmm. They're just half human, half demon. OK, um, so they might have horns. Pretty much all of them have the horns, but the horns can be all sorts of different designs. Sure. Uh, some tieflings have tails. Uh, some tieflings have uh, cloven hooves. Mm. Mine has the tail and the horns, but that's about it. And he pretty much hides the tail most of the time. As one would imagine. Yeah. Most of the time, tieflings are red-skinned, um, like, you know, like a, as you would expect a devil to be. Sure, sure. Um, a Tim Curry type. Right. Yes. Very, very Tim Curry-esque. Uh, mine, however, is blue skinned. Ah, very DC Comics of you. Uh, yeah. Well, so the thing about warlocks is we're getting deep into D and D here. So if, if you Brett's D and D corner, everybody, Brett's Brett's D and D corner. So if you're not a fan of D and D and you're bored out of your mind right now, maybe skip ahead, maybe like ten minutes. <laughs> wow, you are throwing down your marker. Ten minutes more of D and D talk. I love uh, it. There, there might not be, but it's it's probably a safe bet. I mean, five, five, five minutes. I don't know. I want to give you an accurate number. I don't want you to scroll ahead and go. He's still talking about this. I just, you know, 
I'm going to give you a good buffer. Because um, <laughs> you get me talking about d and I'm going to go off. Uh, clearly. Uh, and you asked. I did. That's that's my <laughs> mistake. But you know what? I'm We're living with it now. We're in it, baby. So the thing about warlocks is they they're they're not like wizards or sorcerers and that they mm-hmm. get their magic from a eldritch being of some kind, an ancient eldritch being of some kind. Um, and they make a pact with them for whatever reason. And the the eldritch being grants them their magical powers. Uh, so mine, I made a pact with a Cthulhu like creature. Ah. At, in, in in a moment of near death. Sure, as one might expect. While, while drowning in the ocean, I made a pact with a Cthulhu-like monster, um, which turned my tiefling skin blue and gave me magical powers. Cool. And that's... And you, there's tons of different options for um, patrons. Tons of different options for, you know, spells you can get. So that's that's why I like warlocks because they're they're very powerful. They're considered glass cannons because they it doesn't take a lot to put one down. But I'm also casting all of my spells at like max level. Okay. So that's that's why so I'm fragile guy throwing fireballs. Exactly. Except my my guy is fragile and likes to summon a lot of tentacles. <laughs> I mean, as one does. <laughs> or trap you in a alternate dimension sphere of creepy tentacles. Sure. I mean, because everyone knows that if there's one thing that every HP Lovecraft story has in common, it's tentacles. Exactly. Our friends over at the cast of Cthulhu are throwing their pod catching devices across the room. At, <laughs> at, as I mentioned that, um, that's one of the one of the things that drives them nuts about the common conceptions about uh, HP Lovecraft. But you, what are you going to do? Um, it's all about the tentacle porn. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. HP uh, Lovecraft was into tentacle porn. Um, here's the thing. I don't, I don't really care about saying not nice things about HP Lovecraft because he was a terrible person. So yeah, look, talk all the shit you want about him. Oh, I will. Please. please. Do it. He probably Seriously. was into shit play too. Who knows? Not me. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I track. Dude was a freak. He's a dang ass freak. Was um, he a good writer? Yes. Did he create a mythos that is beloved by many? Yes. Was he like legit awful? A hundred percent. Do we condone any of his actions? No, we do not. No. Just because I based my D and D character on his mythos does not mean that I condone his behavior. So shall it be written, so shall it be done. I think the character is very nice and just wants to make friends. Sure, as as one would hope. Um, I'm but trying Brett, real hard just to not go down the road of just like let me tell you about our campaign. And you're you're <laughs> you're tiptoeing right up to the line, which is why I'm going to pivot hard back to Red Zone. Well, yes, please, please save me before I bore everybody to death. The reason why we're actually here today is to discuss the 1985 Richard Fleischer film. Red Sonia and Brett, we're 37 minutes into this episode right now, and we have not yet summed up the plot of Red Sonia. 
Uh, which a good we, indication of how we feel about a movie. Usually, yes. Um, but we do need to talk about the plot of Red Sonia. And so to do that, we turn to the great coin of justice uh, donated by our number one fan, Tucker. Um, Brett, I am going to have you call the coin of justice in the air as I flip it. Call it now, sir. Heads. Is that even and a It flip? is heads. Is that even right, a flip? Well, it looks like it floated. And just for that, it's actually tails now. So it was going to be heads, oh, yeah. but now it's tails. Well, it was made me tails. Flip it. it was tails. No, it was heads. It was heads. We take the first result. You you nope. are shunning the coin of justice right now by not taking its first result. Uh, you shunned the coin of justice by telling me it wasn't a flip. So that's on you. And that is your penance, sir, is that you are now the one that needs to recount the plot of 1985's Red Sonia in 60 seconds or less. Where is my time tracking device? All right. <laughs> so I have 60 seconds on the clock and you let me know when you are ready, sir. All right. So we start with uh, Sonia, who was uh, left for dead uh, by Queen Gedrin. We find that out later. And then there's a talisman that they're going to destroy because it's getting too powerful. And then uh, not Conan uh, finds her sister and then shenanigans happen uh red sonia finds um an annoying little kid who's the prince 30 and seconds then, and then they go uh to queen gedrin's place uh other shenanigans happen along the way they find a metal dragon uh gedrin has a queen there's a pet spider that's kind of creepy um and then then they fight Queen Gedrin and they defeat her and ten seconds. Um, and then Sonia and not Conan bang it out, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> Two, one, and time. Bang it out, quite literally, probably, I guess, because there's always this whole thing about no man will have me unless he defeats me, and so Conan's like, okay, we're fighting right now. Um, and then they end up just fighting to a stalemate. Uh, Cause they're, they're so equally matched, you see. Um, and then at the end, they, they get down to fight. And then instead of fighting, they just make out and the child and the, the, his, his very large keeper uh, right off into the distance, presumably because they know that they're just going to do it, whether they're there or not. So you might as well get the kid away, I guess. I, sure. I don't look. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Yeah. That whole thing really seems to go against the message the movie tries to put across. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> strong, independent woman don't need no man. Except she does except, all the time. Except she does because not Conan says so. Uh, yeah. And he's like, oh, and he's, he's following her to make sure she doesn't fall into harm or whatever. Like every time she falls into trouble, he like jumps in and fights a bunch of people and saves her. Like it's very, it's very talking out of both sides of its mouth about the the whole thing. Cause it's, you know, yeah, she's a strong independent woman who don't need no man until she does need a man, which is often. And she kind of ends up taking a backseat in her own movie because, because Arnold really is, is really kind of what it comes down to is, is Brigitte Nielsen kind of becomes 
the secondary character in a movie titled after her. She's like a pseudo damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. She's, she's like not Conan is constantly saving her. Right. She's a damsel in distress who gets to kick a moderate amount of ass. Uh, a little bit. Like she does end up defeating Gedrin at the end. But like that's about it. Like pretty much everyone else. And you know, she's we we do all this work at the beginning about how she's she's like imbued with some kind of magical ability from some sort of vengeance spirit or something question mark uh some goddess or other and um and she's like really good with a sword and like defeats the grandmaster etc but then like she's still not better than conan because conan's a man and canonically men are better well he's also conan he can't lose sure even though it's not his movie no but the character conan cannot lose he is the main character of he this is, world. Yeah, the canonical main character. I mean, it's it's the whole who can who would win in a fight, Superman or Batman? And the answer to that question is always, well, it depends on whose book you're reading. If it's Superman, you're you gonna bet Superman would win. If it's a Batman book, then you'd better believe Batman's going to win. Like in reality, yeah, one of them would easily crush the other, but you know, it just depends on who's writing the book and what title they're writing at the time. Like That's in, accurate. Except in this case, it's a movie called Red Sonia and Conan still wins. <laughs> yeah, kind of the opposite of what you just said. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but it, you would imagine that this would be an opportunity for her to best Conan. But and then at the end of the movie, it's very clear she does not want to. And even, I mean, Tarn, the, the little prince, even gives the indication that, oh, she doesn't want to win. Like she wants Conan to have his way with her. Uh, is kind of the implication, which is weird. And uncomfortable. Right? Like, Particularly yeah. given what she's lived through up to this point. Yeah, she, like, it's just, yeah, she totally wanted it the whole time, mm-hmm. right? Like, ha, she wanted it. But no. No. Even, even her master at the beginning is like, you should learn to trust men. It might hurt you in the future if he you don't. He literally says, not all men. <laughs> he literally he says, not all men. Yeah. Which is fucking wild. He should have put a hashtag in front of it. It was fucked up. If only hashtags existed back then in the Hyborian age. That was weird, man. It it was an an uncomfortable thing to to have happen. Uh, I mean, this movie is just had me scratching my head pretty much the whole time. And honestly, it runs into, I think, a similar problem to other female-led action hero films that we've talked about on this podcast, like Catwoman and Elektra, in that it's still written and directed by a man and really gives no indication that there is any level of understanding put into the female character and trying to make that character uniquely female. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, woman with sword kick ass is is kind of the the directive here. And it doesn't work. Yeah, this, this movie is... It's the movie equivalent of those use those books. It, I mean, it has its own subreddit. It, women written by men. Mm, is the name mm-hmm. of the subreddit. Uh, it's the movie equivalent of that, where it's like a dude writing about like a, a woman's character and how like her ovaries quiver with excitement. <laughs> and you're like, my my brother in Christ, do you know how female anatomy works? <laughs> 
Um, the answer to that question is no, particularly if he is, in fact, a brother in Christ. They, they probably have no idea. Um, <laughs> let's just, be honest. It's but, just uncomfortable. Like, it, it's yeah. clear that it's they they were trying to make I, I really don't think because I originally said, like, maybe the message this movie is trying to get across. I, on second thought, I don't think that's the case. I think that is really just to show that whole like strong independent woman shtick in this movie. I will call it shtick in this movie. No, it it fits for this movie for sure. Uh, is is just to show later that no, just kidding. She actually does need a man. Mm-hmm. You know, even even you strong independent women who think you don't need a man, you actually do though. <laughs> but in reality, you, you do need a man. St- you still do though. Yeah. And, and, you know, you need you need a conqueror is what you need, which yuck it. Yeah. And the fact that she's constantly getting ordered around by uh, by Kino from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, uh, also known as um, the kid from Surf Ninjas. Um, God, I fucking hate that kid. Can I just say that? He is so goddamn annoying. <laughs> I cannot stand him. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the character going for the character is obnoxious. And, you know, that's kind of the 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 type of kid character that was popular in movies like this around the time. Sure. But like, look, look, short round. Great. Sure. Short round is exactly this kind of character done well. Short round is the exception that proves the rule, if anything. Like short round is is kind of the the character like this shouldn't work. And some might argue it doesn't, but I, I would say it works a far sight better than most examples of the kid's sidekick in 80s movies. And actually, can I say something real quick? I just yeah. realized I'm running through characters that are like this in my head. Mm-hmm. Why are they all Asian? Your guess is as good as mine, sir. Because I almost kind of, because I'm because I like, okay, you got short round, uh-huh. you got this kid. Uh-huh. And I was like, Data from Goonies, yep. kind of that character. Um, I mean, all the Goonies are kind of that character. That movie is a that, that movie is completely populated by kid sidekicks. Sure, uh, some of them are more sidekicky than others, and I think I would say Data and Mouth are probably the two, and Chunk are probably the three biggest sidekicky characters in that movie. Right. So yeah, so maybe not maybe not that one to the extent, but still, like that's. Three I mean, there's there's there yeah there's off one the top there. of my head, and they're all Asian, and two of them are played by the same actor. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe it's just him getting typecast a little bit. Maybe. But. I mean, yeah, I don't know that I really noticed that as much, but I think there's a good point there. I mean, and this kid is in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. Uh, he's in Surf Ninjas, uh, so I mean, he he plays these types of roles relatively often. So I don't know. I, there, there's probably something to that. I don't know what it is, other than there was also, along with a big influx of. Um, sword and sorcery films in the eighties, there was a, a big subset of uh, like Asian influence. Like we're coming off of the seventies and the height of the Kung Fu movie, Bruce Lee fever in the sixties. Um, and a lot of that comes through in the eighties, stuff like big trouble in little China and the golden child, the, those kind of East meets West kind of movies, year of the dragon, kind of all of those sort of Asian influenced films that were kind of popular in the mid to late eighties. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just a coincidence. It could be. I mean, but, you know, you look around and sometimes if, if a coincidence is too repetitive, it's not really a coincidence. 
So well, I mean, racism has always been prevalent in Hollywood. So. Exactly, and that, I mean, and that's kind of the watchword. Like that—that's something. Racism and sexism, two things that never go out of style in Hollywood, unfortunately. Uh, and this movie's got a little bit of both. Mm. Well, mm. not not a little bit of both. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough. A lot, of, a lot of bit of both. Right, uh, a lot, uh, quite a bit of both parts. But yeah, like I like Ernie Reyes Jr. I part- I like his stuff as he gets older. Like I was a big fan of Surf Ninjas as a kid. That's definitely a movie we're going to cover on this podcast one day. Was a big fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. So like I was a I was an Ernie Reyes Jr. fan growing up, but um like now he does stunt work in Hollywood. That's kind of his thing. Like he was a stunt work he did stunt work on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. He was a stunt uh, performer in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So, I mean, he's he's been doing a lot of stunt performance, which is uh, kind of cool. I mean, that's pretty neat. I'm glad to see he's still working. Yeah. Good. You like to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he does. Uh, he's a kickboxer, too. So apparently he's uh, he has some kickboxing titles. Oh, damn. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and his father was the great Ernie Reyes Sr., uh, who who also was in the movie Surf Ninjas, but he was like a, a really iconic martial arts, um, uh, both athlete and performer. Uh, so, you know, he, he comes by his ability, honestly, and you can tell he's doing his own stunt work in this movie. Like for, here's the thing, for all that this movie does really wrong, I can't completely hate it because there are elements of like brilliance. Like you've got, the score by Ennio Morricone, which is really fantastic. Uh, you've got like Ernie Reyes's stunt work. Yeah, his performance is really obnoxious, but like his stunt work is pretty pretty legit for you know just being what like a ten year old kid at this point. Certain set, certain aspects of the set design are really fantastic. Like that last room with all the candles, where uh, uh, what's her name? I I forgot the villain's name. Gedrin, where Gedrin and Sonya have their fight and there's all those candles laying around like that looks freaking cool. And it's it's like easy to do on a budget. Like how difficult is it to just bring in a bunch of candles and light them and just let that be the atmosphere? But it looks fucking incredible. Like there there are some some really fantastic. The costume design in this movie is also great. Like there are some really cool things in this movie um, that are that are awesome. Um, but unfortunately, like it's kind of overshadowed by the fact that the script is not that great. Um, the acting is very stiff, very wooden. The direction is completely uninspired. Like there's more bad than good, but the good in this movie is pretty good. Yeah. I can agree on the set design. I was very impressed by the candle room and the throne room. The throne room was great. Yeah. 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 But yeah. But it seems like that stiff acting is very like, Every movie like this has the same sort of stiff acting. I don't know what it is about these style of fantasy movies, but like nobody knows how to act in them. Well, it's like the it's like the Laurence Olivier school of Shakespeare, like Laurence Olivier kind of wrote the book on what a Shakespeare movie should be. But by the same token, like his Shakespeare movies are boring as hell. Because, like, he's got this very, like, performative, stiff kind of way of performing Shakespeare. Whereas, like, if you watch anyone else's adaptations, like Orson Welles or Roman Polanski or, you know, any of these other people and the the Shakespeare work that they do, it's dynamic. Like, there's a lot more to it because there's not this, like, reverence, like, oh, this is the bard. We must treat him with respect kind of attitude. And there's – 
I think that kind of a similar attitude around these types of movies where everyone's got to be this kind of larger than life character. I am completely good. I am, you know, holier than thou or whatever the hell. Like that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. Um, So I think there's a lot of that. And also in fairness to Brigitte Nielsen, this is her first movie ever, like ever. So I'm willing to give her a little bit of slack for not being, you know, the most naturalistic presence on screen. At this point, she's like just getting her start. She was a model before this. And so this was kind of her first role. She marries Sylvester Stallone the same year uh, and then is in Rocky four and Cobra. Her, her literally her very next movie after this is Rocky four. Um, and then she does. Beverly Hills Cop 2 after Cobra. So it's Red Sonja, Rocky Four, Cobra, Beverly Hills Cop 2, which is a really great run, honestly. If you're talking about like mid-80s action films, like she is kind of really the female counterpart to all of those guys. Uh, and then, of course, she's later known for her role on The Surreal Life, where she ended up in a relationship with one <clears throat> Let me read this here. Flavor Flav? Yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, but then she's uh, currently married to uh, Mattia Desi, uh, who is um, in. Uh, I, I don't I don't know what he does, but uh, they were married in Malta in 2006. So just, good for just her. A dude. Just, just a, dude. a dude. Just a dude. As far as I know, he's an Italian dude. But yeah, there you go. Uh, they they got married uh, apparently shortly after her relationship with Flavor Flav ended. So there you go. Thank you for reminding me that the surreal life and all of that was a thing that happened. You're you're welcome. Why why did we let that happen as a society? Man, here's a th- that's that was a time in in American life when reality TV was like it. And the only celebrities you could get on any kind of like reality show were like the people that were celebrities a long time ago. And so like, who do you get if you're like MTV or VH1 or whoever did the surreal life? You do, you know, you get Bronson Pinchot and MC Hammer and Webster and Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav and Vern Troyer and, you know, just... Peter Brady, you know, you get them and you move them into a house together and you're like, I don't know, do something funny. Yeah, it was VH1. MTV at least tried to be a little bit more sophisticated with their reality shows at first. Well, I mean, they also didn't use celebrities at all. No, they just used real people. And and you could argue MTV probably invented that wave of reality television with stuff like uh, the real world. So, yeah, so I mean, there there it is. But, you know, they're to blame. I I would agree. I'm willing to give them all of the blame. Um, but yeah, Brigitte Nielsen kind of uh, a really big deal there in the mid 80s and then kind of goes into obscurity a little bit, um, which is uh, is kind of a bummer because I think I mean, this movie is not really an indication of what she does well. Like, I think she's much better served in uh, Rocky and in uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. But I mean, you know, to have your very first movie be the title character, kind of great. Like, good for her. Sure. Yeah, great. But like, at the same time, uh, I would be kind of pissed if all of a sudden they're like, 
you were going to be the star, but we got Arnold Schwarzenegger. So right. Like he, you're he, up to number two now. He's doing this as a favor. And so we're going to milk that for all it's worth. We're going to make him legitimately. We're going to make him regret doing a favor for a friend. We told Which him is, it was just going to be a cameo, but between you and me, it's actually a co-star. He is pretty much the lead now, and he's going to be billed above you. Like any other, like if this movie were made today, Arnold would get the and. It would be and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And honestly, he would prop, it would be a, an actual cameo. Like he'd show up for a scene, maybe two. And then what he does for most of the movie would be done by someone else. Well, I mean, in this day and age, it would he'd get the requel treatment. He'd show mm-hmm. up, spout the line about uh, what is best in life, and then he'd disappear. He'd, he and then he'd show up again in the post credit sequence to set up the next movie. Yeah, yeah. And then, there, then there's probably a predator somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> get to the chopper. And then, then we get Conan versus Predator. And Fuck yeah, that's a movie I actually want to see really bad. That would be so cool. I could not be any more rock hard right now. Right? I can only get so erect, people. Um, a lot of penis talk in this episode. That's weird. <laughs> that is a little weird, isn't it? <laughs> David Bowie's penises, our penises. I don't what know. are we what are we doing? I don't know, man. Um, I do want to talk about the Raiders of the Lost Art connection with this movie because there is not one, Brett, not two. But three actors from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark in this movie. Uh, Most notably, the aforementioned Ronald Lacey, who plays uh, Toth in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's the guy whose face melts. In this movie, he plays Eichel, the guy who gets crushed by a giant ass door. Poor guy. I mean, you know, he's he's got a type. Uh, The next is Pat Roach who is the only person other than Harrison Ford to be in all three Indiana Jones movies. Um, He was not able to be in the fourth one because I think he had passed away by that point. Yes, he had. He passed away in 2004. Uh, But he was in all of the others. In uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, he plays uh, the giant Sherpa and the first mechanic. He's the guy whose um, head gets caught in the propeller blade and his blood goes all all over the swastika. Uh, but he plays Brytag in this movie, uh, the the Lord of the weird, like dirt people who tries to like rape he's and kill. He's Jabba the Hutt. Just let's not. He's Jabba the Hutt. Let's, Fair like, enough. It's very clear. He's Jabba the Hutt. That's <laughs> touche. Uh, two years after Empire, he's Jabba the. That makes sense. And then Terry Richards who plays Jart in this movie, a character I don't know, but he is the infamous uh, sword-wielding man in Raiders of the Lost Ark, who Indiana Jones shoots with a gun. Um, So we've got three different performers from the 1981 masterpiece, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, that just show up in Red Sonja, apropos of nothing, which I found really hilarious. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that is a weird bit of trivia, for sure. Um, but you know, I, and I was, I was glad to see Ron Lacey. Like, I think he is a fantastic actor. Uh, I like seeing him in stuff. I do also want to say, Brett, there, there is an actor in this movie. We have covered him three other times on this podcast. Um, I don't know if you even know that we have done that. Paul L. Smith, who plays, uh, Falcon in this movie, AKA, uh, the guy watching over the kid, the whole movie. 
his known for is basically a murderer's row of movies we've covered on this podcast. Uh, in night, he is in the 1994 film Maverick as a character called the Archduke. He is in the 1980 film Popeye as a character called Bluto. And he is in a 1984 movie called Dune, where he plays the Beast Raban. And then his other known for is this movie where he plays Falcon. So his known for is literally four movies that we have covered on this podcast, uh, which I find hysterical. That's kind of insane. I didn't know those were all the same guy. Uh, neither did I until I clicked on his name just to see what was up. Um, so that to me is absolutely wild, um, but also absolutely incredible. And I had no idea. Does that make him the new patron saint of the podcast? It might. It might just do. Here's I'm looking in to see if there are other movies that we could potentially uh, cover that he might be in. And I don't know that there are. So that might be the end of it. Um, but yeah, really bizarre, like really, truly bizarre that that is, in fact, um, the 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 way this shakes out. Um, really odd. Not sure what to make of that. But there it is. Um, Just another cool fact, honestly. Honestly, yeah. Like it's look, this movie is is not great. I think it does have some redeeming value in it. Um, but no, it's it's. It's not that good. There's there's enough wrong with this movie for me to not say like I wouldn't recommend this, but I don't know. It, it has some fun. And again, Arnold himself calls it one of his worst films. So I think this might be the nadir of our of our all about Arnold April. Uh, and I hope it is, because honestly, uh, I know the next two movies are at least going to be better. Uh, and I'm the the next the one after that. I'm I'm going in with an open mind, but. It can only go up from here, right? I you you would imagine so. And I mean, again, like his run after this is really pretty incredible. Like he goes from this to Commando to Raw Deal to Predator to The Running Man, Red Heat Twins, Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop, Terminator 2. Like he's just Arnold Ascendant at this point. Like he's just done Terminator he is pretty much free to do whatever at this point uh, and does like he, he pretty much just writes his own check from here. Like when he decides, Oh, I want to do more comedy. Suddenly you've got red heat and twins and kindergarten cop, like junior, like he starts that run of Ivan Reitman comedies um, that seems really, really odd on paper, but I'm glad he was able to recover from this, but I'm, that must've just been because he was, Probably constantly going around. Look, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> De Laurentiis tricked me. It was right. a trick. I was bamboozled. Well, and he still manages to come off as charming in this movie. Like, he's not bad in this movie. Like, it, it honestly, it feels like he's just kind of like, I don't know, whatever. Like, it, 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 this has very big favor for a friend energy about it. Like, I don't, I don't know if you get that impression, but that's kind of the impression that I get from this is he's just kind of like, I, I don't know. I'm here. I'm doing my thing, whatever. Yeah. He's being Conan. I mean, and that's, that's kind of what you want out of Arnold. Like he's doing the Arnold thing. Like he's showing up, he's doing the work he's have He's, he seems like he's having a good time at least. Uh, he might be the only one. I don't know. 
But uh, but yeah, this movie just feels very misguided and it kind of is the thing that kills both the Conan franchise and any possibility of Red Sonja becoming a franchise. Yeah, at least until they start talking about it again in the yep. early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah, let's get into some of that, because that is uh, that's an interesting conversation, at least. Uh, do you have any info on that, Brett? I've got some if you don't. Uh, I do not. I looked it up. I'm aware of it, but I do not have it in front of me. Uh, so it was originally so late. The the back half of the 2000s, uh, Robert Rodriguez is supposed to be doing a Red Sonja remake with Rose McGowan. That's scrapped by 2009. Um, Rose McGowan um, sustains an injury to her arm that pretty much limits what she's able to do with it. And so sword fighting apparently off the table at that point, although Apparently, there are some fan posters online for her Red Sonja, which look pretty freaking cool. Uh, Amber Heard is in talk shortly after that. That falls apart. Uh, then for that. Right. Uh, then at some point we get a he who shall not be named is attached to uh, Red Sonja. And as, as late as 2018, he is attached and then uh, in February 2019, after the uh, the abuse scandals come out, the sexual abuse scandals come out about him, uh, that pretty much gets canceled. And then, the I mean, the project is kind of one of those that's like constantly in development. Uh, according to uh, Wikipedia, the Hollywood Reporter uh, says that Jill Soloway is working on a Red Sonja project. Um or was in 2019. We've got another one with Tasha Huo, who's writing. Uh, Hannah John Common, who played the uh, the ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp, is set to be Red Sonja. Uh, that's supposed to be filming this year. So maybe we'll get a Red Sonja film sometime in the next couple of years? Question mark? I mean, we did get another attempt at a Conan movie, which we'll, which we will cover on this podcast with Jason Momoa back in like 2011. So I think when that came out, people were like, well, should we do a Red Sonja 2? Let's do a Red Sonja 2. So. I forgot that Jason Momoa Conan was a thing. It was. Yeah. Wild. We can add that. If we ever decide to do a Pulp Heroes Month, we can throw that in in for, for Pulp Heroes Month. He says if we ever decide, knowing we've already decided to do that. Yeah, we just haven't placed it on the schedule yet. But we're absolutely going to do that at least once. We have enough. We could probably do it a couple times, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be a fun time. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there were there were a lot of attempts at a uh, at a at a Red Sonja film after this, but honestly, most of them were in the 2000s. Like this movie did so poorly, both with critics and with audiences, uh, that it was um, not really um, not really viable for uh, the sequel treatment. Uh, Arnold says about this what um, what Dennis Hopper used to say about uh, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, it's the worst film I have ever made. Apparently, he said in an interview, now I tell my kids that if they get out of line, they'll be forced to watch Red Sonja 10 times in a row. It must be working because I've never had much trouble with any of them. And that's, that's a hell of a punishment. Right? That just that doesn't seem like a punishment fitting the crime kind of thing. Um, but Isn't yeah, there this a quote from Maria Shriver where she said, like, if, if this doesn't kill your career, nothing will. Yeah, exactly. Like after the premiere, they're walking out of the premiere and she's like, well, if this doesn't kill your career, nothing will. And hey, 
She nothing, was right. Nothing did. The only thing that killed his career was becoming governor of California, uh, which is why he does not make a film between 2005 and 2010. Um, the the movie The Kid and I, which I think is a cameo more than anything, uh, and The Expendables, where he is a cameo. So, yeah. Um, weird. But we'll get into that leg of Arnold's career uh, as we get a little later in this series, because we got to uh, space it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we're we're covering the man's career. So we've got, you know, this early film, we've got a couple of middle ones and then we've got a later Arnold. Then we'll cover a lot of the in between of his his politics run and stuff at that point. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about Arnold April. So we are all about Arnold this month. Um, this movie, Brett, uh, not so good at the box office. Um, it opens in 17, 17th place uh, on 88 screens. It makes $284,000 in its opening weekend. And it opens wide the next weekend, but never gets above ninth place. Like it just does not do well. Word of mouth on this one is ubiquitously bad. Well, at least it cracked the top 10. It did for one week. And then it dropped back down to like 12, 13. Sure? Like, it, like it tried. It did. It it put it it put forth an effort. Um, in uh, opening at number one, this is the weekend of June twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five. Opening at, at number one is a movie called Pale Rider, a new movie this this week. Not one that I'm familiar with. I'm going to be honest with you. What if there was a Pale Rider? What if there was a Pale Rider? I guess sure. Uh, in second place, the Ron Howard film Cocoon. Uh, what if there were old people? Cocoon. Diabetes. <laughs> Beatus. In third place, uh, speaking of Brigitte Nielsen's husband, uh, Rambo colon First Blood Part Two. Um, what a weird naming convention for that series. Notorious for it. It's it's First Blood, Rambo colon First Blood Part Two, Rambo Three. Like, what the hell are we doing here? What the hell are we doing here, Rambo franchise? I, well, that, I mean, it's, it's a victim of we had this really successful first movie that we didn't plan to make a sequel out of. What do we do now? Uh, I don't know. What do we call it? Maybe, uh, maybe completely ignore every... I mean, the obvious answer to what do we call a sequel to a movie called First Blood is Second Blood. Obviously. Um, yeah. But I mean... No, we can't do that. No. I don't know why we can't do that. We should do that. They should have. We should it's be right, brave enough to do that. It's right there. Right. Um, but no. Rambo colon First Blood Part 2. Um, in fourth place, also new this week, uh, a little movie called St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, Going to be a man in motion. All I need is a pair of wheels. And St. Uh, Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire. I love that song. Um, I've only seen the movie once, but that song fucking slaps. Um, Who needs the movie? Just listen to the soundtrack. Just listen to the soundtrack. That's all you need. Uh, in fifth place, a movie we have already invoked on this episode, The Goonies, Brett. The Goonies, down from three the week before in its fourth weekend, it has already grossed $40.7 million. Hell yeah, it has. Hell yeah, it has. Um, and rounding out the top 10, we've got Fletch, the Toby Hooper film Life Force, uh, Pritzi's Honor, Return to Oz, and A View to a Kill, Brett. So, I mean, we've got James Bond, we've got Oz, we've got Chevy Chase, Toby Hooper in the top 10. Um, it's great. And then on number 12, the original Beverly Hills Cop holding over from the previous year. Uh, one of the biggest hits of 1984. 
Damn. Yeah. It really stuck around. It it's still going strong in thirty in its thirtieth week. It is uh, still makes more money than Red Sonia in its opening weekend. So, <laughs> good lord, right? <laughs> really quick though, let me mention Return to Oz. Have you ever seen Return to Oz? Uh, I have not, but I I understand it is apparently uh, the movie that traumatized an entire generation. Yeah, it's apparent. I I, I what I, is it on Disney Plus? I should hope it's on Disney Plus. You want to talk about like a dark fantasy in the style of Labyrinth and Legend and Willow mm-hmm. and whatnot? Damn. So like, so you're a, so you're a fan of Return. I to am, Oz? I am a fan of Return to Oz, one hundred percent. I mean, that does seem it is absolutely on Disney Plus. Hell yeah. Um, all right. I'll 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 probably watch that at some point here soon, I guess. <laughs> Why not? It's not like I have anything else I need to watch right now. Um, so it only grosses two hundred and eighty four thousand dollars in its opening weekend. It grosses six point nine million domestic and another two point seven thousand dollars internationally um barely barely cracks um six point i mean it doesn't crack seven million like it under seven million off of a budget of 17.9 million dollars so it it's an absolute flop and uh this again like i said this pretty much kills any robert e howard adaptation in the public consciousness for some time it, it it's a uh, the tomatometer score on this one's a 19 percent uh the critics consensus dull poorly directed and badly miscast red sonia is an uninspired conclusion to schwarzenegger's barbarian trilogy um the meta score is a 35 based on generally unfavorable reviews from six critics and the letterbox average is a 2.4 brett what did you rank 1985's Red Sonia out of five stars? One singular star. One singular star. I gave it. Uh, I gave it one and a half. Um, because, like I said, there are some things that I do enjoy about this movie. Uh, the performances and story aren't one of them, but there are some some tangential things that I do enjoy here. But yeah, this uh, overall not a not a great movie. A movie you can uh, feel free to avoid if if you so desire. Uh, not one you really need to rush out to see by any stretch right. of the imagination. That one star is for Arnold Schwarzenegger and Arnold Schwarzenegger only. There you go. I mean, it is all about Arnold Month, so you got to figure we 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 got to sneak him in a star there somewhere. Because yeah, there's the writing, the acting, uh, the misogyny, the racism, the everything else, just all of it. Yeah, is how you say not good. No, in fact, uh, quite bad uh, in point of fact. But, uh, but yeah, there it is. That's uh, that's Red Sonia. Uh, we are not really fans. Uh, I do kind of want to watch the other Conan movies, though. Like, I feel like those are good. Uh, which I, I suppose brings us to the question that you brought up the other day, Brett. Is this a spinoff? Is this a sequel? Like, I would consider this a, a spinoff, which is why we're covering it here. Um, are we wrong to cover it? Is it a sequel to the Conan movies? Well, technically, and to be fair, I brought it up at the beginning of the episode. Um, oh, touche. Uh, I've slept since then. Same. <laughs> uh, so technically, no, it's not because he's not named the same. And mm-hmm. we only want to think it's Conan because fans have ex- hand waved it away. 
I mean, yeah, they, they've kind of pigeonholed this into some kind of weird continuity, which, I mean, that's fan service. That's not. You know. I mean, look, there's there's more merit to it than usual just because they wanted this to be Conan and they just couldn't. Right. For legal reasons. Yeah. For legal reasons. But but still, it's not. I mean, I'm sorry. It, yeah. I know what they intended him to be. And he pretty much is. Mm-hmm. Except for all the things that he's not. But I mean, he is, though. Like, yeah. What, name something about this character that is not Conan. That would touche. <laughs> he even has the same sword. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, more or less. Right. So, yeah, this is Conan. Mm-hmm. And, and don't come for me. I know I've been pronouncing it Conan and Conan. It doesn't matter. It, so. It's fine. It's it. We don't care. It's It's okay. Yeah, I'm not really trying that hard. Just, you know, <laughs> getting getting out in front of the criticism, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Stopping a million tweets, yeah. Yeah, because we're that. Because, we're of, that you know, the millions of followers <laughs> that we have across all social media. We do. Don't, you know, we They're have just, lots of celebrities to listen to us. Right, yep. We, I mean, we're we're in talks with a, with a, uh, uh, a, a legal a director we legally cannot name right now who's uh, working on uh, disenfranchise the movie uh, I've probably said too much um, Brett just bleep all that out in the sure. edit yeah uh, so we, 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 signed, for, we signed NDAs for a reason I, I'm sure we uh, can't talk about it so be on the lookout well we can say be on the lookout for disenfranchise the movie the merchandise ah the merchandise that's really why we're doing it Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Well, you know, and we we did get that sweet, sweet Lucas deal where we do get 100 percent of the merchandising rights. So uh, you mean the hot beverage thermal mugs and free balloons for the kids? Yeah, <laughs> that's the one I'm most looking forward to disenfranchise the flamethrower. Uh, that's the one that I've got my eye on. Uh, kids, kids love that one. I'm going to get one for each of my nephews. Um, but yeah, there you go. Oh. That's. That was that was a Ghostbusters two reference nestled inside of a Spaceballs reference. And I'm, yes, sir. I'm proud of it. I'm really that's, proud. I'm I proud mean, of what we've done here today. That, that's we've. If nothing else, this episode has that going for it, and I think we've done some good work. Um, so yeah, that is our Red Sonia episode of the Disenfranchised Podcast. Uh, next week we have another brand new episode on another Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and uh, it's it's gonna it's bound to be better than this one. God, I hope so. Um, you can hit us up. Uh, shoot us an email, disenfranchpod at gmail.com. Let us know how we're doing, how you're enjoying the show. What failed franchise starters do you want to see us cover on the show? Hit us up. Let us know. We'd love to cover those for you. Uh, you can also find us on all of your social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Disenfranch Pod. I, me, your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on the social medias? You can find me at the aforementioned Warlock themed uh, screen names uh, on Letterboxd, Instagram. That's it. Uh, at sus underscore Warlock. Uh, I was like, "Doesn't there another one?" Oh, right, I don't have Twitter anymore. Right, you you abandoned Twitter again, and uh, you're I'm sure your sanity thanks you for that. You would not believe. I have an idea. Um, at any rate, join us next week where we are apparently covering the last action hero. Um, so that'll be fun, better than Red Sonia for sure. At any rate, uh, I am your host Stephen Foxworthy for my co-host Brett Wright and myself. Until next time, you touch it. Oh. No, it's true. Only women can touch it.